When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to Caged In Presents Coppola Connections. As ever, brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsyllabus. This is episode 52 and the film on the docket this week is I Heart Huckabees, but more on that later. If this is your first time listening to this here podcast, what we do here is we watch every single film in the collective Coppola family filmography to determine are they the greatest film family of all time I do not do that alone each week I'm joined by a guest and this week is a fantastic one as they always are um we talk about this film kind of around this film it's a very hard one to talk about if you've ever seen I Heart Huckabee's you very much know what I'm talking about. It's a bizarre one to try and make any heads or tail of. So we do our best. There are spoilers as there ever is. So if you have not seen this film, head on over to Disney Plus right now at your peril, should I say. So yeah, enjoy my conversation with uh, Alex Cronenberg. This is a really fun one. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, you'll get into it. We kind of work out how we feel about this film as we go on. We inevitably talk about the kind of controversy and scandal around this film and on-set behaviour of David O. Russell. And yeah, as I've said in this intro already, we kind of try our best to talk about this film without kind of talking about this film. So let's have an ex- existential crisis try and save some trees and do some weird shit as we make some Coppola connections. Is life filled with coincidences and connections or is it all meaningless? Well, one thing I do know for sure is that this week's film is David O. Russell's 2004 black comedy, I Heart Huckabees. Written and directed by David O. Russell, co-written by Jeff Boehner, 
And the film stars Jude Law, Lily Tomlin, Isabelle Huppert, Dustin Hoffman, Naomi Watts, Mark Wahlberg, and today's Coppola Connections. We get two for the price of one with Jason Schwartzman and his very own mother, Talia Shire, to help me figure out what it's all about. Connectivity, meaningless, and most importantly, are the Coppola family the greatest film family of all time? It's film journalist and writer Alex Cronenberg. How are you today, Alex? I'm excellent. It's so good to be here. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this unusual specimen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, should be a good one. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm I I put this out online recently to see what like kind of I put out a list of films that were 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 coming up on the podcast, and this one seemed to be uh, much of a talking point and kind of quite divisive in what people thought about it like uh, i believe a uh, friend of the podcast uh paul wilson morris said i couldn't get through 20 minutes of this film like i hated it so and then one person was like well that's one of my favorite films of all time so so uh, kind of yeah it's going to be interesting um to see where we both fall on it i'm going to keep my cards close to my chest and kind of maybe i don't know maybe try and dissect how i feel about this film as as we go on if that's all right, right with you you'd be relieved to know i did get through 20 minutes of it so that should make yeah, a yeah. decent pod at least yeah I, this was before i watched the, this was a first time watch for me and it was the first like before i'd watched the film and i was like oh no i don't want this in my head going into a film i never want like so i couldn't get through the first 20 minutes i was like well i have to i have to get through the entire hour and 54 minute running time or whatever it is um so as we always do on this podcast alex the first question we like to go to is when did you become aware of the coppola family so what was your entry point and when did you realize this kind of this sprawling cacophony of family members that make up this wonderful orchestra that is the coppola family well, you'd be shocked to know that um, I'm an absolutely massive fan of, of Nicolas Cage. No. Like, like yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, huge, huge, huge fan. Um, since a very young age, I think um, I think a first, the first film I watched of him was like Honeymoon in Vegas. I think my dad showed it to me on like a random Sunday afternoon. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. nice father-son bonding session over multiple he- Elvises. PG, PG Indecent Proposal, as I like to call it. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. I never thought of it that way. And so I've always like loved him and kind of like sought out anything he did. But people used to kind of tell me that he was a coppola. And I never really knew what that meant at a young age. So it's sort of like I'm talking like nine or ten. He's a couple um, of what? He's a couple of what? He's a couple of he's a couple of kids in a coat. Like what is he a couple of? Like <laughs> <laughs> um, and so like yeah, I, did, I didn't really I didn't really get what really that meant and the significance of that for a long long time. Um, I just knew that I loved him and then started to use that trivia as well. <laughs> even though I was like, what does that mean? So I started telling people and they're like, mm, very good. Even though they probably didn't know what it meant either. Kids in the playground, just like, yeah. oh, right, okay. He's one of them. <laughs> um, so yeah, so definitely Nicolas Cage was my start and eventually, obviously I did kind of like figure out what that uh, entailed um, and the kind of like dynasty that he came from. So it was a it was a slow learning process, but uh, it was through 
that legendary icon. What were like, like when, when obviously you got of an age where you could kind of like, I don't know, process it and obviously know what a, like a Coppola meant. Like, I don't know, was your mind blown or were you kind of like, wow, this is like, uh, yeah, did your feelings change on Cage at all as well? Like, I don't know, I guess now it's, everyone goes on about nepotism babies and stuff like that, but he, he seems like an interesting case. Yeah, it was also, it was always based around Nick Cage. So it was, I think it just kind of made me appreciate him more that he didn't want to play on the fact that he was a Coppola and that he, he wanted to make his own way in that, in that world where I think it would have been so, so easy to play on the fact that he was um, part of that family and rather he'd pave his own way and did it through um, offbeat performances, taking risks, kind of exploring the boundaries of of the art rather than being... Yeah, but let, let, let's be honest as well. He, do, he does appear in a couple of his uncle's films in the 80s as well. So he was he was happy to like kind of jump jump on there. I, I don't besmirch him for that. If my uncle was Francis Ford Coppola, I'd be like oh, no. there with the begging bowl, like, please, Francis. <laughs> yeah, that's true, I suppose. But, but I guess with general audiences, they'll see the name and they won't really know. So I think he was... Um, he kind of that, that made me appreciate him more even more. But then as you explore more and you became more involved with film, and I think even when I was talking to you and you were kind of like outlining some of them, some of the kind of other members of the family, that's when I really realized, God, this is they really do have so many fingers and so many pies, like they're everywhere throughout throughout Hollywood, throughout time. And I think uh, it's only when you see the breadth of that. Yeah. That you really appreciate that actually these people are such a force and we wouldn't really have the industry, the artistry um, and the cinema that, that we have today if it wasn't for them. So I think it does kind of blow the mind and you kind of wonder like, how has this happened? Like, how has this happened? And it must be more than nepotism. There must be yeah. other things that play. Um, and yeah. I think he's, he, he's obviously a force, isn't he? Um Francis so I think uh, I think he's got a lot to uh, a lot to be answer for really well I think there's an aspect as well that so many of them have carved out such a unique niche in what they do like obviously Francis for many people like kind of reinvented Hollywood filmmaking with The Godfather and like Nicolas Cage has kind of I don't know created his own like nouveau shamanic like acting style and is kind of like a genre all to himself and then, like, we look at Jason Schwartzman. It's like, do you know what I mean? He's kind of the king of these kind of offbeat comedies, like, throughout his career and seems to be, like, a go-to guy for uh, Wes Anderson and stuff like that. And it's kind of, like, fasc- yeah, it's just fascinating that, that it's mm. not just the fact that they're, um, I don't know, yeah, that they, 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 they all seem different as well. And it's not like this kind of, I don't know, like the Baldwins. It's like, well, we're all trying to be like uh, thriller. Do you know what I mean? We're all trying to be like drama guys or something like that. It's like, I don't know, it'd be, it'd be like one Baldwin being like, oh, I'm going to be the comedy guy. This one's going to be that. It's like, or I'm going to be behind the camera. It's like they're, they're, all, they're all mainlining for the same thing, whereas the Copeland's mm. like, we're just going to dominate all of it, right? Like Jason Swartzman, I'll do some TV every now and then. I'll, I'll dip in here and there. Like Cage is like, I've got whatever I'm doing covered. <laughs> Sophia's like, I've got whatever I'm doing, like absolutely like nailed. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always, I don't know, week in, week out, it kind of just 
even though I don't know, have these conversations about my mind is still blown that they, because they exist at all. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I think that I was looking at films like for to looking into connections today between them. And I was like, well, that definitely seems like um, a Francis production. Oh, that one looks like a Sophia production. That one might be something that I could see Andrew Schwartzman in. And I'm basically covering Hollywood and Hollywood films for the past, like, 60 years or yeah, 50 years yeah, or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And you're like, this is ridiculous. Like, how am I doing this? And, you know, the only ones that, I, you know, I couldn't see anything in is, like, Sonic the Hedgehog 1 and 2 or something. But the rest of them, you know, they got him covered pretty much. Yeah, they've yeah, they've all... Yeah, it's like, I... I... <laughs> I found it really funny because like there's obviously no announcement whether Nicolas Cage will be in uh his character will be reprised in the next Into the Spider-Verse or Across the Spider-Verse movie. And then like casting announcement came out that Jason Schwartzman's gonna play the villain. It's like, well, even if Cage is not in it, I still get to cover it on this podcast because there's so many Copelers. Of course, someone's involved. <laughs> it works well for you, you know, you've got it covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, I'm gonna be podcasting to um Till I'm old and more grey than I already am. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you, Alex, have you ever had the pleasure of meeting a Coppola at all? Um, no. Um, <laughs> you are the closest I have come to meeting a Coppola, I think, Petros, um, simply because of your um, your love and admiration. Yeah, I feel, um, I, 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 I feel like at this point I'm an honorary Coppola. None of them probably know. One of them I know that knows me by name. That is it. But like, uh, apart <laughs> a, 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 apart from that, I, I feel I don't know. I feel I'd be welcomed at the at the uh, uh, Christmas party. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to think so. Anyway, I, I wouldn't nerd out too much. I'd hope. <laughs> I think that's enough. I think that's enough. I think you should just co- uh, covertly add your face to the family tree. Uh, and I don't think many people would question it really. I think you know enough. I think you could replicate their style. You know, I, I, I think you're in. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. Maybe maybe Gia Coppola's on the on the on the hunt for a husband. I could I could marry him. I could I, I could be cut, and then and then, and then my then my career in film will blossom from from just being being married into the family as it seems to do for many of the other people <laughs> who marry into the family. <laughs> so true. Um, so. When yeah, when when would you have became aware of Jason Schwartzman and Talia Shire? I guess like, but let's start with Jason Schwartzman. What would have been the first film you would have seen him in? Uh, it would have been Rushmore. I think for many many people, I think Rushmore was my entry point for Jason Schwartzman and my favorite Wes Anderson film. Actually, um, although he seems like he's been around for a long time, I think when, when I was watching. The film we're going to talk about today, I.R. Huckabees, um, they refer to him as a young man in it. And like, I think at one point they say that he's 21. And I was like, no, that can't be, that can't be right. I've been watching this guy for about 30 years. Like, that can't be right. He's not that young. Um, and so, yeah, it, it seems like he's been around for a long time. But, I, but Rushmore was uh, definitely my entry point. Yeah. That performance in that is so... Um, educated and mature and, and nuanced and, and you feel lots of different kind of emotions uh, for that character that you wouldn't expect for somebody who's been in the industry for as like short amount of time that he had. Yes, first film, right? Like kind of... It, 
I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. His, it's his first film, and it's like there's something in his bones to just do that. Like, <laughs> mm. all those scenes, and you know, I also love the uh, the kind of apocalypse now homage in that film, which kind of keeps it in the family, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely that. Um, and then I also had a bit of an infatuation with. I don't know if you've ever seen. You probably have. There's a short. Um, before one of Wes Anderson's films, I think it's before um, Darjeeling Limited. Yes, the um, the Hotel Chevrolet. That's right, Hotel Chevrolet. Yeah, um, and I absolutely fell in love with that short, and I would like watch it like once a week. And I fell in love with Natalie Portman for a while because of it. <laughs> Who hasn't? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, he was just incredibly cool in that. And, you know, I, I don't think I'd seen a person who was kind of like this scrawny, kind of dweeby, very, very hairy guy, but he's just so overwhelmingly cool in that short yeah. and everything that I wanted to be. Um, and it was a little bit emo, and I think I was a little bit emo. <laughs> 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 so I just loved it. So definitely those two are big focal points for me. And, and you know, um, that's where I point to when I say, well, where did you first hear of him? That's they're the, the two great entry points. And yeah, is and highlight obviously his kind of, but his kind of ongoing uh, relationship with Wes Anderson is like, it seems to be like, I'm all, I, <laughs> I, I, I think I, I will be covering all but one Wes Anderson film on this podcast because or two uh yeah we'll be covering bottle rocket or the royal tenenbaums because they're the only ones that don't have a copula in but the rest the rest is packed to the gills either in front of or behind the camera mm. so what about talia shire when did you become yeah that's mad when when did you become aware of Tal- uh, like, talia uh, I, um i think it probably would have been the godfather Mm-hmm. Um, again, though, not necessarily that I would have known that that who who was what who it was, um, but yeah, certainly the Godfather was the, one of the earlier times that I would have seen her and been affected by her performance. Um, but she kind of she's one of those that kind of goes under the radar um, a lot of the time. I think in the Godfather, she put in an, an amazing performance, but one that's probably overshadowed by a lot of the other incredible performances in that film. 100%. Um, and, yeah, you know, she, she's one of those, actually, she's kind of, like, fantastic setting. Like, she, whatever she does, she does it wonderfully, but she's not necessarily the person at the forefront of the film that yes. you're going out of it remembering, thinking that person was incredible. So um, maybe that's unfair to say, but certainly in my eyes, when watching The Godfather, I thought she was part of that incredibly, incredible mise-en-scene, but not yeah. the thing that I was dragging my attention. What's fascinating about her as well is as the films progress, like with The Godfather trilogy, like I think she's one of the best things about part three. I think like the stuff that she does is great. Like I think like her kind of, almost filling in where like you can imagine you can see where like the the robert deval stuff kind of like when he he didn't come back for it like kind of got split up and kind of they needed somebody to for pacino to bounce off with certain things who was still a part of the family and she gets to kind of be there like as a big decision maker and like it's got all that stuff with vincent and stuff like that so yeah i think 
I, I think them, and I think the Rocky films, she, she's great at kind of like, um, I don't know, like yeah, throughout these series, like her characters, the progression. It's, it's nice to see that she's got these two like franchises under her belt and you get to, she's very much a wallflower in like the first Rocky film and then by like three, she's giving like a rousing speech on the beach to Rocky to like amp him up and it's like, ah, yeah, this is what we want. Mm. This is what, like, like my, my girl Talia gets to shine. Mm. She's very much a, a person that is is fine to kind of allow people to react off her. Uh-huh. Um, but in but in actuality, I, I do think she she has got so much presence, and she does bring a lot to those Rocky films. I think in other in other actors' shoes, it could be a very throwaway character, but she adds so much heart. And I think I can see it. I can still see her face in that pet shop. I'm oh. like, just like my heart breaking a little bit for her. And, and, and I don't think that couple, that romance is as sweet without her. Um, so yeah, she's, she is excellent. And uh, it's a shame she's not in more probably. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, but it's a, it's a delight when she does turn up. I'll say that for sure. So mm-hmm. let's move on to the main event, as it were, of our discussion. Let's discuss I Heart Huckabees, but before we do so, let's have a listen to the trailer. Have you ever transcended space and time? Uh, time, not space. No, I don't know what you're talking about. No. Very, very good! Albert, what brought you to the philosophical club? You mean the existential detectives? What kind of investigation? Existential. You'll spy? Yes. On me? Yes. Will you be spying on me in the bathroom? Yes. What are you doing here, Brad? What? 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 Brad, you're killing me! Shut up! Shut up! Everything is connected and everything matters. Now, isn't that cool? Human drama is inevitable. Suffering cannot be diminished. How am I not myself? How am I not myself? Myself. You don't put no tree in the parking lot. How's the sex? How's the sex? We're private about our seven minutes of heaven. Eight minutes of heaven. It's not quality, it's quantity. (laughs) Jesus is never mad at us if we live with him in our hearts. I hate to break it to you, but he is. He most definitely is. There's glass between us. You can't deal with my infinite nature, can you? That is so not true. Wait, what does that even mean? Say this blanket represents all the matter and energy in in the universe, okay? This is me, this is you, and over here, this is the Eiffel Tower, right? It's Paris. Everything is the same, even if it's different. Exactly, because we are connected. So the film premiered at TIFF on September 10th, 2004 and hit general release on October 1st of the same year. It's made on a budget of $20 million and had a box office return of $20.1 million. 
So I'd imagine with marketing and all the other costs that go into it, this was considered a flop at the time, I'd, I'd imagine. And um, we'll get into why that possibly could be as we go on through this conversation. But before we do so, Alex, could you have the absolute um, <laughs> terrible pleasure of telling us what I Heart Huckabees is all about? Um, I'll try. Um, <laughs> I, I was watching some research before today and uh, they asked Dustin Hoffman uh, the same question and he didn't do very well. So <laughs> uh, I'll give it a go. Um, okay, so Albert Markovsky, played by Jason Schwartzman, is an existential terminal. He hires a pair of detectives that specialize in guiding people towards inner peace. Uh, unfortunately for Albert, the detectives failed to put his mind at ease and instead he spirals out of control and into the arms of nihilistic author and life guru Katerine, played by Isabel Huppert. Uh, what follows is a quirky journey of self-discovery for Albert, his friends and also his worst enemies. That's what I've got. That is perfect. That is what we want. That is that is what this film is in a nutshell. And it's it's so much more and it's very complex. So before before I talk about my experience with this film, uh, what is your relationship to it? When did you first see this film? Like did you did you catch it back in 2004? Uh not long after actually. Um I think my sister was really into like her films early on she's probably one of my kind of like guiding lights during that time um, and earlier on. So she'd come home with lots of like cool rentals and like Evil Dead and stuff like that. And she introduced me to some of the best of the best whilst I was renting, you know, road trip or whatever. <laughs> um, so then we'd swap <laughs> and I'd watch, I'd watch the good stuff. Um, and so I watched, I watched this back probably, it would have been like 2005, probably not long after um, it was released on rental. Um, so I did see it not long after release and I remember it's been, I haven't watched it since, but I remember at the time really enjoying it, um, and having a really good time of it. Not, I don't think I understood it, but I enjoyed the performances and the elements of comedy. I think I kind of got a lot out of that. Um, and I was really into stuff like, um, early Wes Anderson, Mm -hmm. um stuff like garden state and those kind of indie dark comedies um and this kind of fell into that bracket but actually now i revisit it i don't think it does at all so um yeah so i i did see it around that time and then it was interesting to revisit actually i i remember around the time and i'd never like one of them i still haven't seen but i remember getting confused with this and like my 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 perception of what this film was like because I didn't read anything about it like kind of going in before watching it, what the kind of plot was. I thought it was a kind of uh, like fa- like family comedy drama in, in almost like in the way of like the Royal Tenenbaums. I thought the Huckabees were a family, and like I thought it was going to be that like the in- the interplay between this kind of dysfunctional family. Because I, I, it kind of felt like for me in some way that, I don't know, uh, David O. Russell and Wes Anderson were kind of like in this weird competition, like both looking back to filmmakers that they they adored, like with Russell's earlier films, like, 
flirting with disaster, which I covered on this podcast. Like he's like, oh, I want to make like a screwball comedy, and it's like, do you know what I mean? Was this is this looking back, and he's like, sin the Royal Tenenbaums, just like, oh, I can I can do something better. It's not that entirely. It's 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 a it's a far it's a far weirder thing. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. Like watching, I had to watch this film in two sittings because it like kind of split my head a bit, and I just I just. I, I I guess it is the thing that I've I went into this film as a thirty one year old man, as opposed to maybe being, maybe being like an impression. I don't know. Maybe if I'd met it at the time that it came out, even though what I would have been fourteen, like I probably would have got more out of it. Like possibly because I would have been at that time like very like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What is life? Like, does it have meaning? Is it all is it all nothingness? Is it is it all meaningless? Like whereas like I don't know, I think now I'm probably I I developed my own philosophies on life and kind of what it all means and kind of quite set in what what I feel about things. I don't know, maybe it's cynical, maybe it's kind of realist. I, I don't know, maybe I don't don't have the impressionable mind that this this film really hits you but um what yeah back to my original point as well i got conf- i used to get confused with this film and wrist cutters for some reason i think that was the point i was trying i, d- I don't know why i think that feels like another kind of navel gazy like uh dark comedy as well from what i remember and, and all i remember is shannon sossman's in it and uh, I had a big crush on it <laughs> when I was younger. Um, still kind of do. Um, so how did you feel about the film on revisit? Like, had you kind of kept those warm feelings or have they kind of uh, faded since? I really don't know. And maybe this isn't the best answer for a podcast, but I still don't know. I I, I do like elements of it and I kind of appreciate what he's trying to do. I can't help but feel it's pretentious. Mm-hmm. But then I feel like, well, look at that cast. They can't all be fooled. So it must be good. And then I watch it and there are parts which I find really funny. But then, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really torn. I don't know how I feel about this film at all. I don't know whether I like it. I don't know whether I hate it. I don't, I really need to make a decision, I think. Yeah, well, <laughs> at some point. Um, the, the, I, th- I think this, I this think discussion the, is us there figuring are it out. of it that he does really, really well. Yeah, exactly. That's what we need. <laughs> that's that's what this podcast is for for me today. Just just some ther- therapy so I can figure things out uh, and make my mind up. I, I think the the stuff around it definitely makes me like it less mm-hmm. when I read around it and the research and stuff. It makes me like it less. Um, but then if I took it for what it was, I'd probably enjoy it more. And I think that's what I did as a kid where I just watched it and I kind of enjoyed the comedy and didn't really think about too much about all the... Uh, points that he was trying to make um, and I think that's the problem with it actually is that he's throwing too much at it he's throwing everything at the screen well, yeah. everything. and, and I, I watched an interview from him um, I watched an interview from him and he kind of said that um, that he was inspired by J.D. Salinger, then he was inspired by um, this Zen master who ran this meditation <laughs> class that he used to go to, and then one of his lecturers, and I was like, well, 
this is too much. Like he's just literally just throwing everything that he's um, experienced in the past 10 years at a screen and he's given too much freedom. And then what he's got is just a bit of a mess, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure how you felt about it, but for me, it very much felt like I kind of had to double check. I was like, is this is this a Charlie Kaufman script? It kind of feels like a half-baked, like, do you know what I mean? Like early charlie kaufman thing i'm not sure if you've ever seen the film human nature um stars mm. reese fans uh, tim robbins and patricia arquette um it feels similar to that in like this kind of i don't know it's just got a it's just got a very weird tone to it which like feels like a massive departure from what david o russell had done previously i guess like up until this point like you could really couldn't pinpoint what what kind of filmmaker he was because yeah what 1999 he had he had made three kings which is totally different to this movie entirely oh yeah it's 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 miles away from him, but i think that gives him carte blanche three kings i mean people like that a lot um I, i'm not sure off the top of my head like at the box office how did how well it did but he's certainly given a lot more power and I think actors wanted to work with him and then that gave him even more power. Um, but unfortunately, he doesn't really know what to do with them. I've never seen Naomi Watts in a role like this where she is completely kind of like wasted. I mean, for the first know, hour and a half of the film, she's literally just in like a bikini dancing around and, and that's it. And it's all very leery. Uh, as well it's not it feels a bit uncomfortable watching her perform and then he does the same with Isla Fisher as well and yet it just feels a bit uncomfortable and odd and I'm not too sure why this is happening and why I'm watching it and why is she involved she's an incredible actor mm-hmm. um, and so he's got all this power and all these actors to get on board and then doesn't really know what he's going to do with it and I think his ideas aren't thought through enough um, and the script isn't succinct enough to then offer anything kind of like satisfying. So then you're just left with like an odd screwball comedy, which isn't as good as Wed Anderson, Noah Bonebach, but mm. kind of wants to be there, there or thereabouts anyway. Yeah, I guess, I guess those three guys are very much like of a kinship, right? They're kind of these guys who came out in like the early 90s, like the mid 90s kind of, I don't know. This one, like for me, like you mentioning Three Kings, yeah, that was like a big critical financial success. So that film, um, yeah, it grossed uh, $60 million in the US and $100 million worldwide. Whereas, yeah, as we said, this one like didn't even wash its face. Do you know what I mean? It just, it just barely <laughs> made back its kind of budget, let alone, like that's not even factoring in. Like you got to imagine there's probably, I don't know, half of the the budget on marketing and stuff like that and like Mm. i imagine a lot of the budget went on went on this kind of talent and i know that the talent as well like dustin hoffman and jude law found it really freeing like david o russell's kind of way of working like it was it was very loose and uh, and we'll get on to maybe at times it, it possibly felt like it was too loose for some people and it was directionless and uh i guess yeah well don't know. should we should we should, should we jump into that now or should we should we hold off on the kind of drama that surrounds this it kind of feels like the elephant in the room and it kind of feels like maybe we should 
pop that balloon now, right? Yeah, let's get out of the way. I mean, that cast, I'm just looking through the names of that cast. It's a joke. You've got Jude Law, Isabel Huppert, Dustin Hoffman, Jason Shorten, Naomi Watts, Mark Warburg, Tippi Hedren, Jonah Hill, Richard Jenkins. I'm like, that, that cast is it's mad, isn't it? Like, yeah. when have you ever seen a cast like that before? Like, it's so bizarre. Weird. But there you go. Um, and I haven't even mentioned... Um, the person who most of the Fiora is is regarding and those infamous YouTube videos are kind of based around. The 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 formidable the formidable Lily Tomlin. Um yeah let's let's listen to a clip of David O. Russell after Lily Tomlin has like a a disagreement about his directing, right? He's kind of every minor thing he's trying to get her to change and like n- not really giving her room to breathe and this is this is david o russell's reaction fuck you i'm just trying to fucking help you do you understand me no, no, i'm being a fucking collaborator i'm just trying to help you figure out your fucking picture hey bitch i'm not here to be fucking yelled at i worked on this fucking thing for three fucking years not to have some fucking cunt yell at me in front of the fucking crew when i'm trying to fucking help you bitch figure it out yourself well i have to yeah fuck yourself Good. Why don't you fuck your whole movie? Because that's what you're doing. We better get some insurance and get some insurance. You're a fucking grown-up. Act like a grown-up. You're not a baby. You're a fucking grown-up. I'm here. It's kind of, it's one of those clips. I'm not sure how you feel about it. Like, obviously, listening to the audio, right, it's really like kind of harrowing to listen to. But like watching it, it's one of those. It's like so awkward. Like I can't help but laugh. And like it's like just because I need to break the tension with myself. And there's a moment in it, and I know I know it's it's horrific. But there is a moment in the clip where he storms off a set, and it that's in the moment in the clip where it goes quite quiet. And he kind of bursts in through like a side door to continue the argument. And it's like, fucking hell. You always want to grab him and be like, David, get the fuck out of there. Like, he seems like a guy. And I I feel like I can open, I, I, I feel kind of safe to say this. And I think it's, he, he's kind of, his combative and abusive like nature has kind of been outed a few times. I know that. George Clooney, um, they nearly had a fist fight whilst making Three Kings. Uh, um, uh, I think Amy Adams during uh, American Hustle, like reported things of kind of being berated and kind of he wasn't very polite. And um, he he actually physically assaulted Christopher Nolan at a Hollywood party as well. So like the the, the guy seems like he's got. He's got anger within him. Yeah, it's weird because like you listen to all the interviews with him and he's all about, oh, about Zen and, and Buddhism and meditation. You know, we're all part of this blanket. And then you 
watch a video like that and like where was that guy where's he gone like this is not the same person um and it's very contradictory that that video is like like you say that when he storms off stage off off the set and then comes in through a set door and keeps on going you're like what are you and jason schwartzman through the whole of that time i'm I'm pretty it's quite poor quality but i'm fairly certain it's him in the foreground it's just like sat there like kind of like shrinking in his chair like desperate to just get away from the situation um and he eventually does it's really shocking and he kicks he kicks loads of stuff at one point yeah 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 he does yeah he eventually leaves and, and kind of exits um but yeah really really kind of like shocking and then there's a there's another video i don't know if you saw it but there's one where um lily's in the car yes um and she's she's basically talking to david you can't hear what he's saying but she's like she's going off on one and ranting and, and you know telling him to fuck off and go away and shouting at him and stuff and i, I watched an interview with her uh, from recently and she kind of said well you can't hear what he's saying to me and he's just being disgusting to me the whole time. Mm-hmm. And she openly says now that they're friends and they get on and that they, you know, there's no problem between us anymore. Um, but I definitely don't think that that was like the sole incident on that set. So, and so I, I wouldn't want to work with him. I think the timeline of that as well is the incident in the car was the day before the incident in the, the office. So it's like, uh, right, okay. it, it's bubbled up. Yeah. And that like Lily Tomlin, in that car, like there's a moment in that when I think Dustin Hoffman's trying to like calm her down and she's like, you can fuck off too. Like he, he, he like he's there kind of like being the, trying to be like, trying to ease the tension. She's like, you can fuck off too. Like this is, and you really get her point as well. Cause I think like one of the, the and Dustin Hoffman kind of like interjects as well. He's like, You've told us to like come down like half a step, but we have been filming all day, very broad, very comedically, um, very heightened. And now you're telling us to like not be that. And it's like, I imagine for them, it's very frustrating. It's like, well, where's the fucking continuity in the performances? If all of a sudden you're telling us to be restrained from what they've been doing and it's this film is far from restrained well i think that speaks a lot of um how much he was confused about what he was trying to do here because he has all these comedic scenes and stuff but then he he wants to talk about um about novels and and philosophy and existentialism and he wants to have all these grand ideas but he can't he can't balance it with yeah. the comedy. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a real problem. So he doesn't know, he doesn't know what he wants to do with the actors and he doesn't know how he wants to present this script. Mm-hmm. And so he gets on top of him. And you could, he's obviously, I think she says at one point, it was a very pressured environment. And I think that's because he didn't know how to present the material that mm-hmm. he had. And, and I think probably it's credit to the actors that we get some of the excellent parts in this film that we get because there are some really funny moments and some really great scenes that I, you know, I put up there with some, you know, some of the great scenes in this kind of genre or this ilk. Um, and that's because of probably because of the performances. But 
he's he's treading a fine line there. He's he's on the verge of being in a lot of trouble, I think. And and people who I know there's a lot of critics now who won't watch his films um and don't want anything to do with him. Um so he is starting to become a toxic entity that really is maybe a symbol of an old Hollywood that doesn't really exist anymore. And he's probably not welcome in new Hollywood right now. Um, and I wonder whether negative early reviews, negative reviews of Amsterdam are a sign of those times perhaps. Well, yeah, there's like, and uh, like, we haven't even mentioned those like allegations against David O. Russell for sexually assaulting his transgender niece. Um. Uh, so, like, there was a lot. I remember seeing a lot of kickback when, like, the cast announcements kept coming through for Amsterdam. It's like, why are all these people working with David O. Russell? Do you know what I mean? Like, not only is he like famously known for being very problematic to work with, like, do you know what I mean? Like, uh, and it's not even like he's. I don't know. Not that you can just chalk it up to the folly of youth with I Heart Huckabees, but do you know what I mean? He's still pulling that shit in 2013. Do you know what I mean? As, as I said, he 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 physically attacked Christopher Nolan. Uh, like, I don't know. I, I, I sometimes think Christopher Nolan does deserve a slap, but I wouldn't I I, 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 I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't actually act upon it or tell someone to do that. But like uh yeah, it's it's it, it seems bizarre, right? It, and and I think it is testament to this whole thing. Obviously, this isn't like the culture war podcast or anything like that, but um, it very much speaks to that whole thing that cancel culture doesn't exist. Do you know what I mean? It's it's uh, uh, and if anything, like people just need to be held accountable for for the way they act and like they like. I don't know. Uh, basically, half of Hollywood saying, "Hey, yeah, I'll do, I'll do your, I'll do your mystery comedy thriller." Do you yeah, know I, movie? I, I, it's kind of a bit like, really, is this the message you want to send out to people? Like, you could be an arsehole to people, and still, like, most of Hollywood will be in your movie. It does worry me. It does make me think. Well, do well. Whether at that point, that's when people say, "Oh no, we do, we don't we don't want to work with David Russell anymore." David Russell anymore. And it's actually because the film didn't do very well rather than mm-hmm. his very obvious um, issues with working with people and his, his aggression and his anger towards his staff, his, his crew and his cast. Um, but uh, I certainly felt a lot different about Iohokabees after watching these videos. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that he's so kind of complimentary of Dustin, uh, as Dustin Hoffman and Lily Tomlin after the fact but i do feel like how can you sit there and look at him like i wouldn't want to do any sort of press yeah. with with him after that kind of performance yeah it's a kind of uh it's difficult isn't it it's kind of it's a real it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a real like sticky thing it's like it's weird i just find i just find stuff like that weird like obviously we're kind of living through similar stuff at the moment obviously we don't know the full ins and outs i guess there's probably more stuff to come out in in the future. I think the video of Lily Tomlin didn't even come out until only like not even, like five years ago or something, was it? 2017, like, was when those videos from the I Heart Huckabee set kind of 
came out. And yeah, we're kind of going through a similar thing with like all the kind of furore around Don't Worry Darling. Do you know what I mean? Like that set, that, that, that kind of, who knows what happened on that set. That, that, that sounds like more of an interesting film than Don't Worry Darling. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually don't think that you know if you, if you balance that and you weigh that up now, like the, the things that happen on IHOBs, I reckon you could write a book about it. Whereas you know, don't worry, darling. I think it's probably going to do pretty well because of the controversy that's come out regarding Florence Pugh. And I think that you know, it, I, I you just got to say, well, bloody hell, like Lily Tomlin could have not done any promo for that at all, and she would have been within her rights. We probably wouldn't be talking about it. Um, not like not like that anyway. So it does make you think actually, well, maybe we are in a in a kind of more progressive place where we don't allow behavior like that. But I'm not too sure. I think it is very much subjective and it's very much dependent on the the person, mm-hmm. the, the, the celebrity status of that person. So um I don't know whether I think David Russell or Russell will probably still get away with it now, but We'll probably find out in a year's time when, you know, maybe Jennifer Lawrence comes out and says something that's happened. I think Christian Bale, I think there's already been rumours about Christian Bale having to um, defend one of his co-stars whilst filming Amsterdam. And I'm not, I can't recall the full story, but I'm sure I read something recently about that. Oh, bloody hell. He's he's at it again. (laughs) (laughs) He's a nightmare. He's a nightmare. Don't get involved. Stay away. Yeah. Yeah, what a, what a bloody, what a, yeah, ah, oh, David, Dave, like so, I tell you, it feels weird now. I was yeah, I I wanted to ask you what what are your general thoughts on David O. Russell's career because it's kind of like I think it's a real hodgepodge of films, right? It's kind of you. I think even till today, you can't really say like, oh, describe to me what a David O. Russell film is, can you? No. No, no, you'd have a hard time. Um, I think Three Kings is a million miles away from my Huckabees, which is probably a million miles away from Silver Linings Playbook. Um, I think probably Silver Linings Playbook and Joy are probably two of his more similar films, although I haven't seen, I must admit, I haven't seen Joy because it just sounded um, uninspiring. <laughs> um, so I didn't get I didn't get around to that. Um, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a bit ambivalent towards his career. Um, he's not a filmmaker that I gravitate towards or one that I think he has a, a personal style or thematically I'm not really that interested in the things that he has to say. Mm-hmm. So I don't really necessarily feel like they're, they're go-to. I did, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Three Kings. I think Three Kings is a really yeah. standout film. And I like The um, Fighter. it's really interesting (laughs) yeah the fighter's grateful yeah yeah and and Christian Bale's fantastic in that actually and maybe it says a lot about him that Mark Wahlberg is his muse (laughs) yeah yeah another very angry guy do you know what I mean like he's somebody who's got a very shady past like um convictions from like assaulting um Chinese American people and stuff like that, and being like very, like very racist in his early years and stuff like that. I guess I don't know. Maybe they met at like a anger management group or something like that. Like kind of I don't know, dickheads anonymous. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, they, they obviously he obviously has a bit of a kindred spirit in in Warburg, but not again, not not someone who I would definitely rush out to the cinema and go and see go and see his films. Um uh but but I do I think Free Kings is probably the one that I'll always point to and say that's a fantastic film. That's got some really great imagery um, some good performances and has a lot to say. Um but but the rest of them are kind of a little bit like Oscar fodder. Mm-hmm. Um I feel like Silver Lining's playbook was a bit Oscar-y and, and Joy was kind of like this feels like it was very much tailored towards that that group of Oscar voters. Um and so I care less mm-hmm. about that. But but he seems to I mean maybe maybe with Amsterdam things will change a little bit and we'll get something which has taken a little some more risks. Uh but I seriously don't think that his films well nothing can justify his behaviour. Mm-hmm. But his films certainly don't justify that amount of passion that he seems to put into his projects anyway. So um that's gonna my stance on David. So David or Russell, I think. So let, let, let's kind of whiplash and go, try and talk about the things that we enjoyed in this film. What what are what are some of the aspects of this film that you, you, you enjoy? I'll, I'll let you go first because I think my list is relatively quite short. There are there are definitely parts of it that I do like. I'm, I'm not too sure about the overall style. I think the acting style is really unusual in this film. It, mm. it like borders on improv. And sometimes you could you feel like they're just going to break character and like look at the the screen and break the fourth wall and kind of laugh and joke about it's really unusual. Uh, know what's going to happen next, um, mm. which at times is quite compelling actually. Um, but yeah, there are two scenes that I really enjoy. I think the first scene is is like the dinner scene um, where Albert. And Mark's Warburg, Mark Warburg's character, Tommy, um, go and try and find the subject of Albert's coincidences. Mm-hmm. And they find him at this house, this kind of like middle-class suburban house. Um, and he's in, they're invited to dinner with this family called the Hootons. And it's a really kind of, I found it really like a really funny scene where they go for dinner and both Tommy and Albert start to argue with the rest of the family. Yeah, and it's a really chaotic scene where like dialogues are flying about and it's singing off each other and there's some really funny lines um as well um and actually mark Wahlberg's very amusing and it's got the fantastic um richard jenkins in it who's yeah. who's fantastic in every single thing that he does and a very early jonah jonah hill performance as well um and and that scene is great because it's got tommy and richard jenkins as character mr hooten arguing about religion um, and how religion has failed, and then you've got Albert trying to figure out like this existential crisis, um, whilst arguing with two teenagers about like a, I think it's like a, a video game they're playing or something, mm-hmm. and it's just so bizarre, but like really cutting. Uh, and it's got you know that's one of the scenes where I think you know what you you've balanced it really well. Your dialogue is to the point and succinct and funny. But also the scene moves and goes somewhere and actually adds to the to the narrative as well. So that is definitely one of my favourites. I don't know how you felt about that one. I do like that scene. And I think that scene feels like it's from a different movie. And I think there is like... 
there is a kind of compelling story within this. And I think there's a couple of compelling stories, but I don't think they all mesh well together. Like, I think there is just this kind of, this story of a guy having an existential crisis and maybe having this, like, weird coincidence or just trying to figure out what it all means. But then it kind of gets bogged down with this whole, like, detect... Do you know what I mean? It's too weird for its own sake. And I guess at times it feels like you're being lectured by, like, an A-level student. And it's a bit like, okay, you've read one book on philosophy, or you've read two. You've read two opposing views on philosophy, and you're like, oh, that's gonna be, that's gonna make a really great film. That is, and it's like it's a bit like fucking chill out a bit, mate. Like, I've my yeah, my patience for this was very thin. Like, and I guess like I, in regard, there, there were there were there were moments I liked, and I. It, there was like I was almost willing the film to be like make it about this make it about Albert and just like this kind of him having these problems like don't give us all this weird stuff on top of it like I I like Lily Tomlin I like Dustin Hoffman and stuff but I just felt like and Isabel Aupair like their whole stuff was almost pointless to me it's like it just felt it just felt weird for the sake of weird Mm, yeah um but then but then again like you get like um scenes with jude law and i actually think jude law is the best thing about this film i think he's excellent he's really despicable and nasty mm-hmm. um and he, there's that great scene towards the end and i don't know if you watch this in the first sitting or the second sitting but um where he's kind of confronted by the detectives and they're telling him that he's like his brother, which he dislikes, and he tells the same stories again and again and again. Uh, and Brad's, Brad denies this, and then they play him all the time. So he tells a story about how he tricked Shania Twain into liking mayonnaise. And his response is absolutely genius. And I'm no fan of Jude Law, but his response goes from like amusement and like thinking he's dead funny to like despair and then anger. And it's just wonderful to watch and actually really really hilarious as well so that that part that that scene in itself is like again you've nailed it you you know exactly what you're doing there and Jude Law is fantastic in it um but unfortunately they're very very few and far between uh I think there are moments where he realizes his idea and he realizes his tone but then that that doesn't happen at all um really in the rest of the film yeah it's it's tonally kind of all over the place right like and mm-hmm. i think that kind of drama on set like i don't know I, I i would like to kind of know for a lot of the cast what their experience were like do you know what i mean like jason schwartzman i think i think he's jason schwartzman's always compelling in in stuff he does he kind of plays these i don't know he he plays kind of little arseholes really well and he's he is a bit of a little arsehole in this do you know what I mean he's he's a flawed guy he plays these flawed guys and I've said it so many times on this podcast I think the fact that he perpetually looks like a child uh forgives like lets us forgive him as an audience I'm not how you how should how you feel about that no definitely yeah I, I completely agree he's got this kind of like wide-eyed innocence 
the it's almost like when you tell a child off I don't know about this when you tell your son off but when I tell my son off sometimes and he looks at me and kind of like looks kind of bewildered about why why am I saying this and it's almost like that with with him where he's no matter what he does he just puts on that kind of like face and like hmm I don't really know what I've done wrong here and you're like oh yeah you're just you're just like you're so naive and you're so innocent you haven't experienced life yet and he plays that that role really well, um, and he's the same in this, where he is very pretentious and idealistic, and um, but then when he realizes the wrongs, his wrongs, it's actually quite heartbreaking, and he he does he conveys that emotion very 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 well as um, this contrite child who doesn't quite understand the things that he's done and the way in which he's hurt people. Um, and he's excellent with that. He's he's very good at that. Mm. I think reading around this film, I find like some stuff really interesting. And I guess one of them is the fact that uh, Dustin Hoffman's character is based upon Robert uh, yeah, Robert Furman, uh, Uma Furman's dad, and his experiences of learning that like, he was a metaphysical philosopher, and David O. Russell studied religion under him, and it's like. Give us the like that story without the without the bullshit. Like that is an interesting that is an interesting film. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I can only I can only imagine like I don't know it being something like the master or something like that. Like this guy studying under this metaphysical philosopher. <laughs> like do you know what I mean? And like learning about stuff. Whereas like this film at times just felt like woo woo bullshit. Like it was just kind of a bit like, really? Like as I said earlier, like it's like it's like somebody's read a couple of books, and it's like, what if you studied, if you studied religion under this guy? It's like makes it have a bit more meaning. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like I've fully commit. I, I I do think that's my problem with this film. It like it, it does obviously fully commit to what it's doing but it's like if you want to make a film about the complexities of religion and what we're do- all doing here i guess like about the meaning of life or kind of are we here as meaningless beings or is there interconnectivity are we kind of this group hive mind and we're we're all we're all connected under this like weird subconscious connectivity do like do that film like do that as a hard-hitting drama or something do you know what I mean like or just do this kind of extent like existential crisis comedy about Jason Schwartzman's character and get rid of like all the woo-woo stuff do you know what I mean all the kind of like chin scratching like going in body bags and all this like and I, I guess a lot of this film as well is kind of really dated by the kind of um effects and stuff like that like when we get the 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 kind of daydreams or the kind of like you know when he goes into the method and the sitting in the tree or dustin hoffman talking about how we're all connected and we get those like squares up on the screen it's all a bit like yeah. this feels very early 2000s <laughs> Yeah, again, you're throwing everything out of here. There was a there was a quote somewhere that said he sat down and he wanted to make a film about people um, listening to conversations in a Chinese restaurant, 
and then writing fortunes for them, wacky fortunes, and then putting them in cookies and delivering to them to the people. And I, well, that's that's exactly what you've done. You've just basically just like randomized a load of ideas and then put them in cookies and let them, these actors open them, and then they have no idea what to do with, <laughs> with with that idea. So I think that's more accurate than the other thing that you're saying about existentialism. And I love Robert Furman, and he was my idol, and this Buddhist and stuff. Really, you've just randomized a load of highbrow ideas that you don't fully understand and try to make a strange comedy out of it, and it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what other, what other, before we kind of start to wrap this up, what other aspects of the film were we like, did, did you want to talk about? Obviously, I guess one of them that I wanted to mention is what did you think of the scene that we get with Talia Shire in this? Obviously, she's one of our Coppola connections. Yeah, um, I think I think much of the same, really. I, I think it, it's neither here nor there. I don't think it adds a huge amount. Um, and I, I, part again, part of those two scenes that I've mentioned, I really don't think that this that scene knows what it's doing as well. It feels like a bit pasted on to me, anyway. Uh, I don't know what what did you what did you think? Like, how did she live up to your couple of connection um, expectation? I thought she she did fine with what she had. She kind of like Liza Minnelli did up slightly. I kind of like enjoyed that aspect of it. And I guess in that scene, it's like, again, it's it's presented to us like it's massively important. And like, this is a big breakthrough for the character. And like his, do you know what I mean? That is the, the crux of his, uh, the way he looks at himself and the way he treats himself and others. But like, I don't know. It like all of the revelations in this film feel quite hollow and empty. Like the film itself, I think it is quite like as we've as we've said repeatedly, it's a lot of shit thrown at the wall, but at the end of the day, like if you just throw in every ingredient in your pantry, like that does not make a good dish. Do you know what I mean? Like if you if you mm-hmm. if you put all the sugar and all the confectionery into a cake, it's not going to taste nice. Like it's going to be too sweet. It's going to be like, mm. and I think that's what this film does. It's got too much weirdness, too too much kind of philosophical musings that it kind of, it, it kind of turns me off to it. It's like there's a way to make this stuff palatable and enjoyable and fun. Like, I don't know, I think, Charlie Kaufman, when he's firing on all cylinders, like kind of nailed this. That's why for me, this feels like kind of pale imitation of what Charlie Kaufman was doing. Cause he manages like, you've look at like being John Malkovich kind of gets to really talk about self and identity in a weird way. And like how we view the world through others and like actually living through somebody else's eyes and what that can do to a person. And then like, uh adaptation like the kind of doubt of self and creativity i think those two films kind of really nail what like this film aspires to do but in like they're very high-minded and high concept but like at the crux of it they're quite they're really fun movies to watch do you know what i mean like they're they're really inventive and interesting whereas 
all of this movie looks like behind the scenes footage. Do you know what I mean? Like, it looks like a, it looks like a, an unfunny, like a predominantly unfunny bloopers reel. I, I feel like um, it's like when you see a fake film being made in a parody. Yes. Um, and then you're like, and then people, you know, you see a fake poster and you see, <laughs> see fake scenes and you're like, oh, you know, this is meant to be funny. This is meant to be like, oh, the ridiculousness of making a motion picture. And that's what it seems like to me, like not like not a real film. Yeah. <laughs> You've 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 absolutely nailed it there. I think that is that is it. And um, yeah. But before we start to write, is that one thing I really want to highlight about this film that I really enjoy, and I'm I'm a big fan of his work. Anyway, is John Bryan's score. I think like it's it's great. I I love his stuff, and like but like he's kind of shown himself like that. And I, I, again, that I think where it kind of like goes down to the the Charlie Kaufmanisms because what he scored Synecdoche, New York. He scored uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and he kind of like cornered the market of that like weirdo comedy. And like, yeah, I, I think the score to this is great. I particularly love. There's a track called Later Monday, which like is is fantastic. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll play a little snippet of it. But that's, I don't know, it's something about it. It's got like a jaunt and like a, and the, 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 the film that that should be scoring, I want to watch, like, as, yeah. as opposed to this movie. Well, the, the, the score gets the tone more than the director. I mean, Claire, the, mm. the, the score understands the script more than the director does. Um, is, is he the guy, did he do Twin Peaks? No, no, that's that's Angelo Badalamenti, that's, the absolute master. God, of course, yeah. That just that just sounds so. That sounds so Twin Peaks to me. That that score, then, yeah, yeah, Twin Peaks. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I think he understands the assignment uh, more than more than David O. Russell. <laughs> um, but no, I don't think I don't think there's really any other any other parts I think which are worth that talk you know why is Shania Twain in this why is Shania Twain I don't I don't I don't I don't so much I know how she's in it she's in it because Jude Law personally wrote her a letter which I find really fascinating and there is some there is some interesting stories why certain people are in this so uh, Jonah Hill Dustin Hoffman's kids saw Jonah Hill uh, I think performing stand up comedy or just yeah like uh uh yeah so, yeah and one night they said you should meet my dad you should meet our dad and he was like you know you, sh- you should meet my dad and then like he got invited around to their house for dinner and then realized oh shit it's dustin hoffman and uh dustin hoffman was really impressed by him that he actually asked david o russell to put him in the movie so like that's pretty that's great right it's, yeah it's great like Gave Jonah Hill his his break, like this is his first like on screen credit, I think, in a movie. So like that's that, that's pretty cool. We don't get oh really, yeah. Um, maybe in another world we don't get uh, 
yeah, we we don't get we don't get Jonah Hill if it isn't for this film. So maybe that's a saving grace we can take from this. I'll take that. It did one good thing then. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, and it kept it kept Jason Schwartzman and Talia Shire in work. Although I'm I I I assume they probably could have they would have been okay without it. Uh, <laughs> Definitely. So as we start to wind things down, uh, one of the first things we do is we talk about any Copa connections within this film. Uh, is there anyone in front of or behind the camera who has worked with the Coplas elsewhere? Did you manage to find um, any? I did. I tried to find one linked to Shania Twain, uh, but I couldn't. The only thing that I could find is that she mentions Brad Pitt in <laughs> That Don't Exp- <laughs> That Don't Impress Me Much, who stars in True Romance with... Dennis Hopper, uh, who's also in Apocalypse Now, but I don't think that counts. So um, I think uh, Naomi Watts. So Naomi Watts uh, is in this film, and then she went on to star in a film called, which I, I don't think many people have seen. I, I haven't seen a film called The Secret Life of the Lonely Doll, um, which is directed by Gia Coppola. Okay. Um, but I think it's only available on like movie, and that's about it. I think mean, that it's very. It got a very limited release. Um, so I think it's her and um, Jessica Lang, I think, um, in this film by Jay Coppola. But that's the that's that's one of the kind of like only ones I've found apart from the obvious. So I've got I, I I've got a few here. So um, another Naomi Watts one for you. Naomi Watts is in the Book of Henry, which John Schwartzman, Jason Schwartzman's brother, was the cinematographer. Um, Dustin Hoffman is also in Meet the Fockers which John Schwartzman was also the cinematographer, and he's in All the President's Men, which David Shire composed the score for. Lily Tomlin is also in Flirting oh. with Disaster, which stars Patricia Arquette, and does the voice of Mama in The Ant Bully, which features the voice of Nicolas Cage, and is also uh, Aunt May in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which also features the voice of Nicolas Cage as Spider-Man Noir. Um, uh, yeah, I've got a few more here. So Jude Law is also in the Grand Budapest Hotel, which features a cameo from Jason Schwartzman. Mark Wahlberg is also in Free Kings, which stars uh, Spike Jones uh, in, a, in, in a small part in there, who was, yeah, at the time married to Sofia Coppola. Um, Isla Fisher is in two episodes of Bored to Death, the HBO series, which uh, starred Jason Schwartzman. Mm. Kevin Dunn, the the kind of stalwart of kind of uh, American movies and comedy, uh, who plays Jude Law's like boss or like kind of lackey. Oh, yeah. He's in Snake Eyes and The Frozen Ground, which both star Nicolas Cage. Oh, I love Snake Eyes. I love <laughs> Snake Eyes. <laughs> uh, this the film cinematographer Peter Deming um, was the cinematographer on Lost Highway which uh, the David Lynch film, which Patricia Arquette was in at the time she was married to Nicolas Cage. And here's, here's one I particularly like, because uh, it's kind of somebody doing what they don't normally do. So John Bryan, the film's composer, is in Funny People, which Jason Schwartzman also appears in. He's actually in the movie. It's one of like one of two credits he's actually got. Well, that is amazing. That is why you're the king of Coppola. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I looked for about an hour and a half 
But for like, I think I was focusing too much on Shania Twain. I, I, I think it's potentially because I've got um, like an encyclopedic uh, memory of which films <laughs> they've been in. So, you nailed it there, Petros. Amazing, amazing. So let's move on to the rating this film. And the way we do that here is what would be the perfect wine pairing for this film? What, what are we going for today, Alex? Um, something pretentious and quirky. I don't really know my wines, but maybe like something organic that's made from like lingonberries that are grown on an island solely inhabited by Puritan goats or something like something like ridiculously random that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, uh, yeah, I would say I think there's a place by my house where I live in Liverpool which sells wine made from oranges. So I can't imagine that's good, but it's certainly an unusual mix. So I'll go for that yeah. orange wine. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be something that like has like a a label that looks appealing and then like you take that first sip and you just want to spit it out. You're like, fuck it out. What is that? Oh, oh. Tastes like vinegar. I think that's very much what this film is like. Um, so how much are we paying for this wine, Alex? Is this, is this bottom shelf, middle shelf or top shelf stuff? Uh, somebody's gave me this wine. Um, somebody that doesn't like me very much in a uh, secret Santa. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> I'm not paying for this wine, I trust. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you, you get it. You get it free with your Disney Plus subscription. <laughs> <laughs> you certainly, yeah. and it doesn't quite make any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's only because of a weird merger with Fox that this is even there in the first place. <laughs> um, amazing. So, based on this film alone. Alex, are the Coppolas the greatest film family of all time? Uh, no, no, they're not. No, I'm sorry, they're not. Jason, tr- Jason and Talia sh- try. They really try, but it, it, David O. Russell has let them down. And uh, stop the podcast now. Give up. They are not the greatest film family of all time. I am sorry. Oh man. Well, it's been it's been lovely. It's been lovely doing this, guys. Uh, uh, as Alex said, I've got to call it a day. So um, this is the final episode of the podcast. But before before we <laughs> yeah before we wind things down forever, um, <laughs> let me ask you a couple more questions, Alex. The first one being, and it's it's a cruel one. Uh, this is why I'm always happy I'm on this side of the <laughs> of the asking of this question. Which Coppola family member would you keep? But in doing so, you get rid of the entire filmographies of the rest of the family. Uh, you probably know the answer. Um, it's uh, Nicolas Cage. Uh, I choose him. He's done too much that has like uh, directly affected me in so many ways. Like it's made me feel good in the bad times. It's made me understand life's complexities a little more. Um, he, I don't know. He, he's just. He's in like one of my favorite films of all time, which is Moonstruck. And I, I don't think that I would want to write about a film and want to be involved and talk about a film as much as I do without him. So um, 
Nicholas Cage, even though, you know, I love Sofia Coppola, I love Francis Ford Coppola. I think he has just had too much of an impact on my life for, for me to eradicate him. So he's my, he's my guy. Oh, you're preaching to the choir, my friend. You're preaching to the choir. He's a, he's one of a kind. Uh, so let me ask you possibly the most important question on this podcast, and that is, what does Bill Murray say to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation? Um, uh, I think that he might say, we're just normal men, just innocent men. <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> serious answer um i don't know and i don't i don't want to know um what he says um i think the ambiguity of that ending is what makes it special um i think you take from it what you want to take from it um it, it's it's whatever it is whether it's a, a promise to return a joke a, like a proclamation of undying love um we won't know but the point is like i don't want to know like the moment that perfect moment is frozen in time mm-hmm. and the, as soon as we begin to know what he says then that makes it a reality and sometimes the reality can be uncomfortable or unsatisfying or you know we actually see what happens and we start to realize about like the implications of that and we don't want that all we want is that moment of of complete contentment and um yeah just like peace and i think you don't get that in life and i Mm -hmm. think that's why that moment is absolutely it's just so so special and um i think the moment we start to like you know raise the volume levels or lip read or try and figure it out is the the time that we you know we start stop believing in that magic so just enjoy it and just enjoy the knowledge of not knowing yeah and i guess life isn't kind of it doesn't end on these punctuations of great lines and stuff like that it kind of just it's quiet moments between people kind of having having connections and they're the things I think we hold dearest to us. It's not these kind of, I don't know, big proclamations and uh, zingy one-liners or something like that. And yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful way to put it. And it's kind of that's why I love I love I love ambiguity and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is, um, especially in my films. Yeah, I think I think not knowing is possibly the best. I don't know. I'm going to have to answer this question at some point, but. Uh, yeah yeah i mean she she's a she's an absolutely beautiful um filmmaker sophia coppola and if she wanted you to know you would know and she doesn't she wants you to be in that space and have a moment of of mindfulness Mm -hmm. um and not think beyond that moment just just enjoy it um and she's given you that as like a little gift so why why return it just enjoy it that's lovely. That's a, that's a perfect place to to end this conversation. But before we do, uh, where can people find you? Like, what, what what publications are you writing for, and where's the best like kind of way on socials to keep up to date with everything you're doing? Yeah, so uh, mainly on Twitter uh, at Cronin Words, and I am in the whole uh, a horror writer. Um, so I write a lot about um, the genre. Um, and I write for Moving Pictures Film Club, uh, 
uh, write for Bloody Disgusting, uh, Horrified, uh, lovehorror.co.uk, um, focusing on all things kind of like grim and macabre. Um, uh, I've got a piece coming out for Moving Pictures Film Club about um, self-coined polite dread horror uh, and a couple of guest spots on uh, Ghouls, on the Ghouls podcast. Um, so a little bit and Bob's coming up for uh, Halloween, uh, covering some films for uh, Fright Fest Halloween as well. So Lovely. Uh, lots and bits and bobs love the season Halloween it's coming up and I am ready for it <laughs> lovely stuff well Alex <laughs> thank you so much for coming and making some Copa connections with me thank you so much for having me on Petra. it's been so much fun there we have it we have a no they are not the greatest film family of all time it feels like it's been a while since we've had that answer but this is a very marmite film uh i've checked over letterbox and there's people who love it there's people who don't love it uh yeah as i said in that intro um liam h dempsey and paul wilson morris of the spotlight podcast both hated this film uh paul uh, didn't even get past the first 20 minutes um if you've got past the first 20 minutes of this film and feel differently or you agree with myself and alex uh please do get in touch you can always get in touch with the podcast um at caged in pod on twitter instagram facebook letterbox and tiktok or you can drop an email which is caged in pod at gmail.com as much as i dislike this film I would very much still like to have a conversation about it with people. Maybe people could sell it to me. Like there are there are aspects of this, like some of the acting, some moments in this I, I did particularly enjoy. And as I said, I love, love, love that John Bryan score. I just think as a whole, it really does not hang together all that well. It kind of feels a bit woo-woo and a bit bullshit when it kind of uh get down to brass tacks it kind of feels like once uh once you put the microscope over it 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 falls apart very 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 quickly so yeah enough about i heart huckabees what have we got coming up next week on the podcast well our coppola connection for next week is jason schwartzman's older brother john schwartzman and the film we'll be talking about is the paul feig 2018 uh, comedy drama mystery simple favor and my guest that episode is a returning guest uh those of you who would have listened to my conair round table would have heard the fantastic claire ellen hope of the amazing w rated podcast and uh, yeah we're going to be talking about that film i haven't recorded it yet but if I know Claire like I know Claire, it's going to be a real hoot to talk to her about a film that I know she is very, very passionate about. If you enjoyed this episode or have enjoyed any episode of the podcast, even vaguely, slightly, and would like to help out financially, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash caged in pod. It's in a bit of a limbo state at the moment. I really need to pull my finger out, but... I've just been adjusting to going back to work, 
doing loads of other stuff and just kind of having a life but yeah that always helps i know that times are very tough at the moment for people financially so i totally understand it if you don't want to uh you don't want to part with any extra money and that is absolutely fine i will still be delivering episodes week in week out because it is something that i love doing so if you want to not part with cash and still support the podcast you can do so by heading over to apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you're listening to this right now and if they have any way of you leaving a rating and review what would be fantastic is if you did that especially on apple Podcasts, if you let me know what you think that bill murray says scott johansson I'm going to start reading them out. Uh, any of the reviews, I will read them out. Um, I'll give you a shout out on the podcast because, uh, yeah, it, re- it really does help. I know podcasts say this. I say this week in, week out. But it really does help to get more eyes and ears on the podcast. And I don't know, it's a real serotonin boost to, to make those charts and stuff like that. And uh, I just have this kind of arbitrary goal of getting in the top 10 like to kind of see myself uh amongst podcasts that are massively successful and also i am uh, massively kind of in awe of because of how great they are would be a real kind of uh i don't know like confidence boost and uh, a massive kind of like yeah you are doing the great work that you like to think you are petros <laughs> as ever i have been petros patsilavis your guide through the crazy world of the coppola family tree remember to keep it caged in and i'll catch you next time hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Drip Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, 
head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.